What up, what up, Meepsters? This is Ryan Rainbro, and if you're hearing this, that means you're about to listen to one of the 99 free episodes of the Meep Meep podcast available wherever you cast pods. But keep in mind that there are new and unreleased episodes of the show on patreon.com slash meetmeetpod. So you'll want to sign up there to hear future episodes and also other side projects like Choo Choo, the show about soundtracks and contribute suggestions for future episodes as well. Will I listen to your suggestion? <laughs> There's only one way to find out. Patreon.com slash meetmeetpod. Bye! Welcome to Meet Meet, the Roadrunner podcast, where we go through the albums of Roadrunner Records with the artists who made them and the musicians they influenced. Let's roll. What up, what up, Meepsters? I'm Ryan Rainbow, and this episode is celebrating my favorite Roadrunner release of 2021, Panty Christ by Dana Dentata. This is my favorite to the surprise of, uh, no one. I correctly think Dana Dentata is the coolest, and not just because we both have alliteration pseudonyms, but, now that you mention it, if she and I started a band, it would be called R2-D2. You may remember in the second episode of this show, there was a band on Roadrunner called Die Monster Die, fronted by Alice Cohen, and they originally wanted to title their album Vagina Dentata, but RR said, no way, you can't put the word Dentata on a CD. And now they have an artist with the word in her name. How progressive. Anyway, Dana tells us about the making of her debut album, Panty Christ, working with a gang of all-stars like King Woman, 100 Gex, Lil Aaron, and Travis Barker, opening for the Insane Clown Posse, and also shots fired at Roman Reigns. As far as me knowing who Dana Dentata is, I know, of course, you had the band Dentata and you become Dana Dentata from that. But my first exposure to Dana Dentata was a few years ago, there was a a rapper producer by the name of Kanye West. Are you familiar with this gentleman? I think I've heard of him before. All right. So he um, he he designs a lot of sneakers. But at this time, he was trying this music thing out and he puts out a song called All Day. That features two people I've never heard of, Alan Kingdom and Theophilus London. Yes. So I'm like, oh, okay, well, I need to keep an eye out on these guys because usually whoever Kanye is associating with then becomes like a thing that I need to be aware of. Whether I like it or not, it becomes a an entity. So Theophilus mm-hmm. London puts out this mixtape and you, Dana Dentata, are essentially on like every other song, maybe every song and credit. Wow, you know about that. So I was like, okay, I'm going to now I'm, I'm adding my my tree of things I need to pay attention to. Right. So that's how I know who Dana Dentata is. But then, you know, I start hearing Dana Dentata songs versus Theophilus London featuring Dana Dentata songs, Ace of Bass covers and such. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it's, you know, a much more like gritty kind of aggressive rap versus you're kind of doing like sung hooks on his songs, more or less, I would say. So. How did uh, how did you go from doing one to the other, or were you already working on this kind of music and you happened to just collaborate with him at the time? 
Yeah, I had just moved to LA from Toronto um, in 2018 in the summer. And I had a fucking new lease on life out of a three-year abusive relationship and where I wasn't really doing music. And I was like, okay, I'm going fucking hard. I'm going to do this shit like full speed, 100% every day. I'm going to put my all into this. And so like I got to LA and I just started making, I knew what I wanted to sound like. And it took so many years to try to get other producers and shit to understand. And they just never did. And I couldn't do it. So I found all these sick free beats on YouTube. Like I combed through thousands and then I picked a couple and then I made some songs on my garage band with my USB mic. And I was just like rapidly making songs, like a bunch of songs, whatever. And I, I had, I'd only had out trust no dick, I think at that point. And I was with a couple of friends and we went to this uh, sex club, like industrial goth party thing. And there was a bunch of us and Theo was one of the people. And we met and we were all hanging out that night. And then I was like, oh, I just made this uh, song like two days ago or whatever. It was that Dumb Not Deaf song. And I played it for him and he got super hyped. He's like just a whole enigma in himself like he's this wild energy and yeah he loved it so much he became like obsessed with it and then became really supportive of everything I was trying to do and it was really awesome like he um yeah I would come to the studio with him every day that's why I'm on like every song because it was just like oh do this do go on this whatever and I was just like down for whatever at the point so I'm like sure like uh collaborate in any way and then we were going out to all these parties we ended up going to Kylie Jenner's 21st birthday and that's where uh he introduced me to Kanye for the first time and he was just like he was just telling everybody like Kid Cudi like all these people like she's up next like she's the shit she's the star like all this stuff you know and it's like that was really nice of him to do that because people don't really do that in this industry. And he was just like full force, like just like really fucked with the music and what I was doing and my performances and believed in me and was just telling everybody. And then we ended up going to this other party, running into Kanye again and recording all the time and hanging out with all these people. And it was a very special, iconic time, I think. Oh, wow. So then did you ever collaborate with Kanye directly? Well, I did uh, have a whole, like, I know him as well. I've traveled with him across the world and performed with him and had some experiences there, learned a lot from him as well. So would you say that Panty Christ, kind of fast forwarding a little bit more, is more so the sound you were striving to get towards or that's just a different aspect of things that you like doing yeah antichrist is like what i wanted completely exactly what i wanted and how did you become on roadrunner's label being you know of course you're an anomaly on the label historically but also even now you know being a a female not a maybe any other just straight up female fronted, you know, code orange, of course, has Reba, so no disrespect there, but um, you're 
you have a very hip hop aspect to it. So Roadrunner, not really traditionally in that realm either. So how did that become the relationship that you formed? Yeah, they've never had a solo female artist. So like, I don't want to say I'm the only woman on the label because obviously there's been a lot of women, but I made them fact check that I was the only female artist to sign an album deal. But um, I guess because I used to be in a punk band in Toronto and, you know, in the band scene there, like I um, know people from hardcore, like Ben Cook from No Warning, like he... um, he has, I think, a relationship with people that were at Roadrunner at the time. And he's been seeing my band play since I was like 18 and always my friend and supportive. And I think like they knew that I came from a rock band and was doing this and like was inter- Roadrunner was interested in that. And I think, yeah, having someone who raps and stuff kind of like switching it up and not just being traditional and something different and a powerful woman and yeah I met with all the other labels and I don't know it just kind of seemed the same like it's just like I don't know like as far as genre I just thought it was really more appealing to me the fact that it's so masculine it's like bro culture metal is so misogynist and I just noticed that that was an opportunity for me to fill an empty space there of like feminine energy and counteracting like sexual assault openly and stuff like that. Like, I think I'm more needed in those type of spaces than I am next to like Billie Eilish or something, you know, like I just thought that would make more of an impact because it's changing, like it's breaking a pattern kind of. Yeah, you're filling a void that's there versus um, continuing a tradition, maybe at another label or with another artist. Yeah. And I knew they weren't going to try to change me either. I knew they were going to let me be dark. I was hoping they were going to let me say all the things I say on my album. And I was very surprised that they did. And, and I, I didn't think like anybody else would back me. The album is called Panty Christ. You have this... Uh, you know, very like giving birth matriarchal um, layouts and everything. The intro is even called birth and you can, I guess it's kind of playing on the actual Christ who is killed and then reborn via heavenly intervention. Um, But can you tell me a little bit about like kind of what the, the art conception was? Yeah, it's based off my life making this album I knew from the beginning before any song was written and I told Roadrunner like a year before the album came out like it's going to be called Pantychrist I just know that that's what it's going to be and to me what Pantychrist meant I like I feel like I manifested a lot of darkness and shitty people by having demons and all this like dark stuff in my art and so I wanted to manifest um my rebirth and healing for myself and light and good people around me and health and everything and I felt like that's what I was going for and I was like trying to I was going to a lot of therapy deep in therapy for the first time in my life and really trying to like 
face myself and work on my trauma and like let out all these things buried inside me. And I ended up like having, I call it a spiritual awakening, mental breakdown. Like I couldn't eat or sleep or drink water or anything for it was like seven days like maybe I had some sips of water but I was vibrating inside so much that I felt like I couldn't put anything inside like it was like I was just I think I was like astral projecting now that I look back but I was vibrating inside I couldn't talk to anybody I went fucking crazy and then I had this crazy spiritual experience where I saw this uh, spirit that's passed away, like this ghost. I physically saw it. And then I left my body and I was like watching the earth. Like it was like Google street view. Like I zoomed into like the house I grew up in. And then I saw like my life on fast forward. It was like a movie and it was, and the spirits were like explaining all the bad things that happened to me and like my whole life and why everything is the way that it is. And I came out of it and I was just, I just thanked them. It was like the most important thing that has ever happened to me in my entire life. It was the best thing that's ever happened to me in my entire life because immediately after I like snapped out of it and I could see colors more clearly, like everything was so clear. I could taste better, like my senses. And like, I started piecing together so many things that didn't make sense in my life. Like and then all, and I didn't know, I didn't know like what happened to me when I was 15, 16, 17, because it was like dissociation and all that. And there's this disorder where you, you depersonalize your experience from yourself. So like my whole life, it was like, that wasn't me. That was this girl in this movie. And so like, I could never kind of like accept and deal with what happened to me because I never, like I dissociated from it so bad. So finally like it's all there and it's all hitting. And I'm like, fucking scientist putting this shit together. Like, just like, holy shit, what the fuck happened to me? Even like, you know, modeling as a young teenage girl. And there was all this weird stuff that never made sense. Like I got signed to this agency in Florida when I was 15 and I went to Ecuador Quito for this modeling competition And like all, there was something not right about the whole thing anyway. Like I was able to piece together. That was Jeffrey Epstein's modeling agency. And I was with Jeffrey Epstein's uh, best friend, Jean-Luc Brunel, who's like, was his like curator for getting girls. And like they had, I went to this modeling competition in Ecuador. My dad came like Jeffrey Epstein's best friend is like, having dinner with my dad, getting the scoop, like, oh, this girl's mom just died. Like her family's not really involved. She's like, you know, they don't have money, the dad, like whatever. So I was like the perfect candidate for this. And then like, I ended up quitting modeling and like for like two years, like getting out of it, whatever. I somehow like never ended up going to Florida by myself and now and I was like oh my god I saved my fucking life like holy shit I I didn't even know that there was an attachment to all this like all these things in my life just started fucking making sense and I was so clear and like I know the experiences that happened to me like I understand the weight of them now like some pretty pretty extreme morbid 
horrible things have happened to me as a teenager. And I always thought I was just really strong and like tough, but really I was, I completely left my body when I was like 16 and I never went back. And I went back in my body like a year ago for the first time. And I've been in it ever since. And so all the songs on the album are like, it's, it's that whole experience and that whole process of like not knowing who the fuck I am and wanting to heal and like some shit that maybe people would never want to say in their lives. Like I want to say it with no shame and let it out and let it. And I want other people to know that they can do this too and not have shame and like, yeah, just a whole life changing experience that was the most intense thing I've ever gone through and the best thing I've ever gone through. And I think the songs are kind of like the soundtrack of it. Yeah, no, that sounds deep and extreme, but I definitely can understand when you're saying that, you know, a lot of these songs, like you said, are pretty, pretty bluntly stating experiences in your life that uh, maybe to someone might sound like a metaphor, but it sounds like to, from what you're saying, they're like, no, this is, I had to go through these experiences. So that's, uh, and that was something that I was going to ask you also, you know, performing songs like these live, you know, kind of remembering these situations, if there's, if there's a uh, difficulty in doing that, but it sounds like you're even making this album and having these songs exist is freeing you from what those experiences had done to you for all these years. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. It's letting it out of me. It's pushing that energy out and, I think performing it is just pushing it out and and, uh, moving that energy on an even greater scale. So um, it was interesting because I haven't played shows for so long. And then I went to London and I played Reading and Leeds Festival and I'm playing like all these songs live for the first time. And I really wanted to, now that I'm like, I used to always look at the crowd as like my enemy. Like, I fucking hate all of you. Fuck up all of you. Like, fuck all you. <laughs> and now I'm like, I want to be one with these people. Like, I want to share this experience. And I don't want to be like angry and acting out of anger. I want to openly project this energy with these people and, and feel this power and like be vulnerable and not angry because like, it doesn't feel good the hour after you know being angry it's like i don't want to feel anger i want to feel joy the hardest song for me to play was do you like me now i was like actually crying while i was playing i couldn't like stop and i was like why is this song like the most like emotional for me and i think it's like because i'm like genuinely asking people like do you fucking like me now (laughs) Yeah, Do You Like Me Now is a, a song I was going to ask you about because it's not on Panty Christ, but of course you release it after you get uh, signed to Roadrunner. So did you just not feel like it fit the the motif of the theme of the rest of the album or you wanted it to be its own thing? I mean, you're still playing it live, like you said, so it's definitely something that you still think is sick. Yeah, I love that song. I just, it's so much time had passed from when I put it out to when the album came out and I just wanted to keep, Antichrist kind of in the time period that changed my life. And I think when I was, when I made that song, I was still 
there's this thing that my friend says where it's like, it's about like being reactive. You're, you're reactive. Like the way that when you respond to people in a way that's out of like anger, where like you're reacting, it's, you're still kind of like at that person's mercy because they've still got you. So like, you have to completely set yourself free from being reactive. And we talk about how like, do you like me now is extremely reactive. So like, I kind of feel like I evolved a bit. Yeah. That makes sense that you're, I mean, you're even asking, do you like me now? You're, you're directing it to this person of, uh, of angst, but at the same time, going back to what you said as far as being one with the crowd, you know, a song like that, and especially the song Panty Christ, I feel I can also be like a unifying, you know, triumphant anthem. Like you're, you know, you're with these people. You're like, oh, do you like me now? Like Panty Christ, you know, coming. All those people that are hearing that relate and have been through shit too, so. They're not, you know, they're not the enemy to me in any way for it to get. And just the end of the don't you ever doubt me. I mean, anybody can relate to that. Like, and it's so hard. I mean, I know it's just like bass and drums, but I just always hear it as like, like a metalcore breakdown. Like, I just really want to okay. fight a parked car when I hear it and win. Oh, yeah. Fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Both Panty Christ and Apology are produced by um, Dylan Brady, 100 Gex. Yes. And 100 Gex is super sick. One of my favorite Christmas songs, Sympathy for the Grinch. I don't know if you're familiar. Check it out. How did you collaborate with Dylan? Was it uh, in person or, you know, through through digital exchange or how did that go down? The first session was set up by... My A&R I had at the time, this guy, Ricky Singh, he used to be in a band called Backtrack. L-I-H-C. Yes. Um, and so he wanted us to work together. So he set up, it was like right before the pandemic hit. Um, we did a session in studio and we just, did the instrumental like I explained to him exactly what I envisioned like I'm like okay I died like I went to fucking hell I burned up they killed me like I'm fucking dead I'm buried under the dirt like uh it's like that scene in Carrie at the very end where they like go to the grave and then like the hand sticks up and I was like it's like my hand is gonna stick up out of the dirt and I'm gonna fucking crawl back to life I'm like I'm gonna become superhero version of myself like invincible you can't kill me and then he's like such a quiet dude who just was like okay and then like turned around and then just like made that whole instrumental exactly how it was and then me and ricky were like fuck like this is this is it this is antichrist like it like sounds like it and then it took me months to get to the point where i could like write those lyrics like i wrote them like many months later um, because it was just like, it just kind of was there and set the tone and it, it felt like big shoes to fill. Like it's such like a big instrumental. So I really wanted to do it. I think I executed it well. Yeah. When I like want to show somebody your music, that's definitely the first song I go for. I feel like that's like a universal crowd pleaser. And I know you like open your shows with it now too. So you must think that it's yes. like the one that grabs you. 
Yes. And then apology, pandemic, hardcore, can't see anybody not leaving the house. I'm already starting to go crazy at this point. Like I'm like manic and talking very fast and like it's all the trauma was like slowly pushing out. So it's like about right here. And then I had this thought, I'm just like, Alanis Morissette, you ought to know 2021. I need that fucking version right now. Like, or it was like 2020, I guess at the time, but I was like, Alanis Morissette 2020, you ought to know. That's what I want. And like, I was FaceTime, we FaceTime and I'm just like, hi, I need Alanis Morissette 2020. You ought to know. I need it. Like it has to be the 2020 Alanis Morissette. I don't know. That's all I want. Like, I just need that. And he's like, okay, (laughs) makes the fucking instrumental, sends it to me in like five minutes. And then I like was, I really fucking went crazy writing that song like shaking like so man it's about like facing yourself in the mirror like that's when I was really ready to face myself like once you beat yourself then all the other shit and all the people around you like can't fuck with you because you've owned yourself and so I knew I had to do that and I was like breaking my brain open like looking in the mirror screaming at myself in the mirror like the lyrics, like, you know, I'm sick on the inside. Like, I was like going fucking crazy. So that song was a fucking emotional, intense one that I wrote alone. Well, that one's a hit. I mean, that one should be. <laughs> top of the chart you got the sick sing, sick sung hook and uh you know it still has the aggression and everything like you said you know it kind of ends with the the screaming but it's mixed in a way that it's not like um i've but- never heard a pop song where like the last chorus was like screaming too so that's what i'm saying but it maintains the integrity of being a pop song and i hope you don't take that the wrong way i mean i feel like it's still just as catchy and if anything it enhances it like you said it sets it apart like oh she's screaming like i can you know, even like uh, kind of near the end, uh, the last couple of runs of like someone like Rihanna, you know, with like a bitch better have my money or whatever. She's like getting yeah. close to that, that aggression. Yeah. So it's really but, 2020 yeah. Rihanna, bitch better have my money more than Alanis Morissette. Okay. Unless this is about one of the uncles from Full House, in which case I. Okay. <laughs> I also love that, like, um, Britney, my childhood idol, like, I feel like the lyrics were so well for like what she's gone through when the song was coming out too of like she needs an apology from a lot of people you know and she's facing her truth and speaking her truth now and it's amazing to see i just love how it aligned with that song um the song church hooker the beat on that kind of sounds like it could be like a Slipknot sample or something like that. Is, some, is that something you were going for? Or is it straight up eyeless off of the first Slipknot album? No. Um, I did that song with Fishnark and Yawns. And the only music that I heard from them was like goth boy emo stuff. Like, you know, little peep stuff and like 
soft stuff. I didn't, I was not expecting them to like go that hard. And so I, I was just like open to any experience at that point creating with anybody. And they seemed like genuine people who cared about like what I've been through and what I'm trying to say with my music. Like that means so much to me. Like I sat with them for like an hour or two just talking about my intentions. And then it was like, okay, let's go in. And then they just went in with that. And yeah, it was like heavy and I was not expecting that from them. And I was stoked on it. Yeah. That's uh, the second hardest part of the whole album is like when it uh, kind of cuts out and comes back, you know, your voice even fades out. Stop me. Cause I'm still fucking breathing. You're mad that I'm, you know, what? I'm glad you said on my birthday every year. I always say that I'm only having a birthday to spite those who wish I was dead. Yes. Uh, Spit features the drummer from the Aquabats, Travis Barker. (laughs) The drummer from everything. (laughs) Yeah, well, he's the, yeah, he's in everything now. But of course, we all know him most from uh, dressing up as a Saturday morning cartoon character in the Aquabats. And then he played briefly in a band called Blink-182. And now he's just doing whatever he wants. He's He's got his own DTA records. He's with Avril again. I mean, he can't be stopped, but this song doesn't sound like any of that stuff that he's been doing the last couple of years. So was that uh, something you also were kind of going out of your way to make sure like, Hey, I don't want like the Travis Barker song. I want to really collaborate with you on this. Yeah, I guess I was more inclined to like make it as hard as it was because I did think like everything else that I heard that he was doing, like I thought it would be cool to go very hard with a female and do like a fucking hardcore female song. Um, Cause you know, otherwise it's contrasting a lot of the other stuff that he's doing with people. Um, and yeah, he's a producer. He makes beats too, like a lot of beats and awesome beats. And so like we went through them and I picked one that I liked and then we just built from there. And there was also this guy, Nick Long, who writes with him for a lot of stuff, Dark Waves. Um, And he wrote the guitar and and I came up with the lyrics in that session. Yeah, we did it all in one session. It was awesome. I don't know. Sometimes it just like works really well with people and just get a flow and it just like shits out. And, And there isn't like a whole lot of thought going into it. That's fun, too. Yeah, it's sick because it feels really raw also, you know, like it doesn't seem like an overproduced song or anything like that. You're screaming pretty much the whole time and uh, the the drums sound super uh, like industrial. I mean, I know that he's, of course, a drummer and I'm sure there's some real drums in there, too, but there's a lot of like super industrial program sounding drums in it. So it feels very pummeling and, and precise. Yeah, he produced that thing. And then at the, the very end, the very fast part of the end like he got in the booth and jumped that part of and was that sick to just be like Travis Barker's doing the drums right now live yeah it was fucking awesome I love that it was like this is so sick love that he did live drums on it yeah he was into that I, I think we definitely want to make some more songs too the song, I Know What You Did Last Summer, 
First of all, do you remember in the movie, I know what you did last summer, Ryan Felipe is hanging out of the, what, the sunroof or whatever, and some songs on the radio, and he's like, turn this crap off, we need to put some, like, heavy stuff on, and then he puts on the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones, and he's like, yeah, this is rock and roll. Fuck, I should have sampled that for the beginning. There's still time. We'll do the deluxe re-release with the lyric sheet, and then we'll have... There, there may potentially be a re-release. Well, yeah, so that's what I remember most from that movie is Ryan Felipe, who got married in my hometown to Reese Witherspoon. Uh, I think wow. they're divorced now. And Ryan's yep. in general, always top tier. But I just remember that that's how that movie starts, where he's like, whatever this is sucks. And he puts on the Boston's and it's just acting like it's Metallica. He's so psyched. <laughs> that's so funny. So is this song about... Uh, Someone who ran some uh, fishermen over? Yeah. Shitty person. You're not Shitty tall person. enough for Hummers is a line in the song. <laughs> That's my favorite line. <laughs> so sick. It's like, I guess the most like petty, simple shit you can do sometimes is just like pick on somebody's height, you know? <laughs> <laughs> like you're not tall enough to get into a Hummer vehicle, like an H2? Yeah, like... And then, like, when you're in the Hummer, you look like a little chump. <laughs> Incredible. Um, this is also uh, produced by or helped written by King Woman. As well as uh, Like a Prayer, spelled yeah. suspiciously. And praying. Uh, yeah. praying. Yes, <laughs> they are. They pray on their they are a prey to tour. Uh, so how was working with Christina that she's, you know, kind of more known for like being metal, which is interesting because you're going into this more metal realm, but the stuff that she does is not necessarily the most uh, metal aspects of it. So that must've been cool. I think she is um, connected to some very dark spiritual energy. Like, and I think that, was really important for me to have on the song Like a Prayer because that song, I wanted to make a song that for when I do the Painting Christ shows and tour, like that song, I want everybody who comes to my shows who's been abused, I want them to chant that with me so that we can like get all that energy in one room and like I want that to be a big physical release for people at my shows, something that they can participate in and like think about all that energy and all that power in the room like wishing death on your abuser because I think that is something I want to see happen yeah I think there's a lot of dark magic in that song yeah it's tough death at your door yeah death on his door on his door i'm sorry not at your door you are the death exiting your door approaching his door (laughs) yes uh the song flesh prison has these dogs barking at the beginning that always reminds me of been caught stealing by uh jane's addiction are they the same dogs did you get those dogs i don't think so I think uh, this producer, No Life, threw those in. I don't know. I, I might have asked because I have been asking for a dog bark in a song for a really long time. So Is that true? 
Yes, because I love, love, um, like, 50 Cent and DMX, like, when they bark, like, it just makes me so happy, like, that 50 Cent song where it's, like, um, he just is, like, barking, like, every verse. And then DMX obviously barks a lot. And, like, I've just always wanted a song with dogs barking in it and some barking. Like when Rick Ross works too. Well, yeah, the back of Panty Christ definitely looks like like Nelly country grammar or something like it's very much like a hip hop pose you got going on here with the the hand on the the crotch and and the. Cigarette. Oh, the fucking! I used to love Nelly. Like I was a Nelly stan, big Nelly fan. Country grammar, hell yeah. Murphy Lee, a saint lunatic, vegan though. I do yeah. know that. I can tell you that. Happy Family, I believe, is the first time we meet Kyler. Yes. Can you tell me about them? Kyler is, so I have, like, various identities. And uh, in the path to discovering who the fuck I am, like, why I am the way I am. And after you go through trauma and you have dissociative disorder or dissociation disorder, you can have alters. So the various alters, like they can come out in different trigger situations, even, or like, you know, most of the time, like performers have an alter ego when they go on stage or, you know, when they're doing their thing. And so, yeah, it's like, I guess I'd say like, I refer to Dana Marie as like the real me, the actual person. And Dana Dentata is another altar that kind of became when I was like 18 and started playing shows in my band. And I would like act so different and I didn't really understand it at the time. Like, I think she, I created her, like her name means vagina with teeth. I think I like created her as like an escape from the abuse I was going through and like no one's going to rape that girl because she's going to bite your dick off. So like I was safe and I was like powerful and I, nobody could hurt me. Like that's who I was in that persona. And then also like around like 21, 22, I lived many years where I was like an American apparel model and like doing like playboy and like all this shit. And I think I refer to that person as just Dana because I feel like that person's like that MK ultra, like dissociated, like model person, you know, where I kind of like, I changed my style even like I was always wearing leather and shit like my, like all throughout my teenage years and stuff. And then I just wanted like pink. That's another one. That's an interesting time in my life and then Kyler I think is like more like my inner child kind of like it's like I become this kind of little boy and I think that's the part of me that loves wrestling and monster trucks and dirt bikes and a lot of my masculine side is there and I think it's like more but it's like a 12 year old and I have, yeah, I, I look at all these different sides and I can like understand myself a lot better 
and what I need when I'm experiencing when I'm in the different altars. Like I'm playing with like I'm playing with it. Like Dana Dentata, like how I was saying, like she's so angry and stuff, you know, like kind of like going in there and poking around and like changing things. Do I sound insane? <laughs> no, no. I just watched that uh Billy Millison documentary you familiar with that guy um he was in ohio and he had 24 different personalities and he was tried for a bunch of crimes murders and rapes and it was his female alter ego that was developed as a result of deep trauma i mean the the documentary gets crazy like the least crazy part is this kid having (laughs) this disorder and killing people because then you find out the reason why he had this disorder was because when he was younger, this like stepdad would like bury him alive and piss on him and like do all these terrible, heinous crimes. So much like you were talking about, he had to remove himself from his body and like had to be like, okay, that's, that wasn't me. Cause if I think that it was me, I'll kill everyone around me and myself. So exactly. Like, I can't live with what I've experienced. So I need a different like reality. It's not you going crazy. It's a legitimate coping mechanism almost to keep you from going crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Like, holy shit. Sometimes I think about if I didn't have Dana Dentata as an outlet for the shit that I've been through, like I probably would have already been in jail as the next Eileen Mornos. Do you still watch wrestling? Are you still a wrestling fan? I've watched some of the newer stuff, but I'm more into like, you know, the icons. Like I don't, to me, sorry, Roman Reigns, but you're not an icon. Like compared to like Stone Cold, Undertaker, just people who like, that's, that's why I think I'm so obsessed with it is because like, to me, they're like rock stars. Manic Monday. Yes. Ends with the line, swim, swim with the fishes, whoop, whoop with the whippets. Now, when I went to the 2018 Insane Clown Posse Psychopathic Records Big Ballas Christmas Party, uh, I remember leaving the event and just a dozen people standing right outside the door doing whippets and i didn't know people still did whippets um but they were whoop whooping with the whippets and i know you just did the hollow wicked show yes in detroit that had to be just an iconic moment for you you're a big icp fan growing up definitely in the last like six or seven years i'd say i got into their music pretty heavy and like i i knew one juggalette stripper that was it but i would go i went to their concert alone in toronto and then i just been really into their music and then i got to see them a bunch of times got to go to the gathering and stuff and i i definitely have like referenced them in my music before and they're a big part of the face paint inspiration for me so yeah that was really sick i wanted to play the gathering so bad i was like begging to play the last like two years and then getting to open for them in detroit on halloween was definitely a fucking dream come true just another one of my like biggest inspirations 
that I get to talk to and get support from. It's really cool. Yeah, I'm really down with the clown, you know? So I'm glad that they embraced me. And then, you know, I have a couple of juggalo friends, like after they were all telling me I got over, which is like, okay, all the juggalos are like down with you. They've accepted you, like they fuck with you. So that was really sick. And then, yeah, I talked to someone about playing the next gathering after and felt really good. But I always feel good when I'm around juggalos because it's like everybody's nice for the most part, always bad apples, but like, it's just a great energy and you just feel comfortable and like welcome. The song Free, I believe you just recorded laying on a floor with an acoustic guitar or something like that. It's very like Mr. Microphone raw recording, right? Yeah. Yeah, I did that on GarageBand with my USB mic and wanted to just keep it like that because the state of mind I was in and how I was feeling when I recorded it, I think you can hear the level of pain that I was in and it just didn't feel right to replicate it. Yeah, so you wanted to capture that unique performance that you didn't, well, you probably didn't want to put yourself in a place where you could duplicate it, so you just uh, maintain that and it's not like mixed or anything? No, like I mixed it to my best ability on GarageBand. Like I've been recording my demos and ideas and songs on GarageBand for like so many years that like, it is like my diary it's like the inside of my heart so i wanted to keep it like that because that song to me is like the most vulnerable and exposed song for sure it's also cool that you're playing you get to play an instrument on the album but was that something that you were excited about getting to also be you know an instrumentalist on the album versus a voice and songwriter yeah i miss my guitar days like i wrote all the songs in dentata on guitar and I haven't played guitar in a long time. And I feel like I, when I play these sad songs on guitar, like that's how I kind of like ever talked about my trauma when I was younger. So it's very, very raw for me. And that's kind of like my outlet for it. And it's painful. It's painful. I don't even know if I could play that song live. I definitely will cry. Cause like, to me, that's, it's like, my like most innocent pure childhood like pain kind of comes out when I'm playing the guitar the acoustic guitar it's certainly a hallmark moment on the album you know it sticks out in in good ways so I think that doing more things that are towards that you know it doesn't have to be a whole album like that or it can be you know it can make two double album like that but I think that it's a it's a really cool inclusion that um, shows depth musically too, you know, cause there's a lot of, you know, like we said, you saying some like funny petty lines, like not being tall enough for a Hummer or um, even the album being called Panty Christ, but you know, it, it demonstrates that you're a real deal musician. If you want to show that side of it, just, you know, singer songwriter, acoustic guitar, like you have those abilities too. Yeah. I like, feel like I'm genre-less, so I wanted to kind of have every element of myself. I definitely have some ideas for things similar to that in the future. And I'm going to do a music video for the song, Free. Are you going to cry when you make the music video? You're going to have to (laughs) sing the song. 
<laughs> well, it'll be a music video, so I could lip sync. Well, you can capture that moment too. That'll be that'll be money. I I could definitely cry. Even like I panty Christ and apology. I was like trying not to cry in a lot of those scenes. Like this album's so fucking emotional and intense for me. It's been very intense. But yeah, I might cry in the free video. <laughs> Probably will. Because why not? You know, I spent a lot of years never making sure I never cried in front of anyone ever and holding it in. And like, you're just not supposed to do that. It's not good for you. So now, like, I don't care if someone says I'm a crybaby or something because uh, it's called verbal ventilation. That's what I learned. Like, it's a physical thing. If you want to not feel like a pussy about it, like when you feel so much pain inside, you have to verbally ventilate it out physically exercise it out of you and that's what crying is so i think you should cry as much as you want woodstock 99 retitled d stock 99 i assume because of that abysmal documentary on home box office max yeah which is stupid because like i'm sure they wouldn't have cared and if anything i'm talking about your documentary so like what's the problem with that did you see the documentary yeah, I watched it as soon as I could. I've been obsessed with Woodstock 99 for so long. Did you watch it on pay-per-view when it first came out? No, I that was like a little before my time, I'd say, of like having access to that. But since I can remember, I've been watching it on YouTube, like full performances on YouTube. So when that documentary came out, I was like, wow, this is going to be so sick. I can't wait to see what Fred Durst has to say about Woodstock 99, clearly the star of that entire uh, incident for good and for bad. And so I'm looking at the description and I don't see him listed, but who I do see listed is going to speak is Moby. I'm like, oh, no, they're going to let Moby talk. This can't be good. And then what Moby does is he makes sure to prove me right by just saying a bunch of the dumbest things I've ever heard. He's very upset that his name wasn't on the piece of wood when you walk in. Yeah. We didn't need his voice in there. But I liked the documentary because I think it helps explain why I'm so drawn to it in this perplexed way because like in so many ways I'm obsessed with it and in so many ways it's like all the things that have destroyed me my whole life you know and everything I'm fighting against yet I fucking love all those performances yeah I just like want to be that I want to feel that masculinity Definitely super uh, important moment in history. And this song is, you know, the uh, perfect way to end off the album. It's one of the higher energy tracks. We get a shout out to Joe C, who everybody knows is. Without a cause. Um, Lil Aaron helped uh, write the song. Yes. And did you get to work with him in person? Yes. He's great. I. That song, like, I feel like that song is just so kind of like Kyler, Dana Marie. Like, it's it's a mix of that. And I wanted the album, yeah, to be, it's like ironic that I've expressed all this rage against men. And then, you know, I'm like 
kind of LARPing as like an aggressive masculine man and the most like I wanted the most freedom, the most power, the most fun. And then like that chorus came out and then like, I just didn't know what else to say. I just like wanted the chorus. I was so stuck on it. And so little Aaron came in and like, I don't know, it had me tripping out a bit because somebody was like, oh, if you're going to make a song about Kid Rock, then like, you have to also say that like, you're not a racist. And I'm like, that is literally the last thing that this is about. I'm talking about like his Woodstock performance and like masculinity and like, it's, it's so like clickbait, like Twitter commenting, like dumbness of it. Right. Like, no, the fuck I don't like, I don't have to make it about something. It's not. And it's about like middle thing. Fuck everybody. Like not giving a fuck freedom. And, but I did want to like, kind of pull it back in and like acknowledge it in some way, like kind of like the meaning of it. And so, you know, I'm saying like, everything's burning up in flames. Um, all I see is violence and crime. Some things never change. Every day is like Woodstock 99. And like, it's like, yes, despite the fact that we are living amongst all these toxic things and all these horrible things and fires and rape and death and all these things, like there's still fire that can emerge. I don't want to say from that, but like it can exist amongst it still and it doesn't have to have any I don't have any of that toxicness in me I'm taking like the pure elements of it yeah no I uh I definitely never for one second thought that when you said I'm on my kid rock shit that you meant like conservative politics (laughs) I'm pretty sure that we all knew what you were talking about but yeah the rest of the song certainly fleshes it out but um it it's a it's a perfect end cap to you know an album that starts with panty christ which like I said definitely feels like a triumphant kind of song, but it's a lot darker. Whereas um, Woodstock 99 is like fun sounding. Like it sounds like you're, you're dancing in the flames, you know, you're Kali on the, with the six arms blue dancing on skulls of the the fallen, you know, it's, um, it's yeah. kind of the, the end credit scene. It's very cool. I fucking love that song. Um, I was going to make a video for it, but honestly, like, straight up I think just culture and society right now doesn't have the attention span or depth to look at what art means and everything is so instant and surface that like I didn't want to put out a video for that because I just yeah I don't think people have the ability right now with everything going on to have that perspective so I'm going to do a video for free instead because <laughs> it's just, I just think this is the way the world is right now. Like it's, it's disheartening as an artist because I think like that song has so much meaning and it's profound and thought provoking and has positive intention to it. But I just also don't think people have, the ability as a whole right now to like look at deeper than like seeing the word kid rock or something, you know, it's really sad. It's really like weird time as an artist who wants to like speak out about things. 
Well, I know Panty Christ as a whole you're very proud of, but is there anything that you think looking back on you would have done differently? I think I wouldn't have had it mastered. I think the whole thing should have been raw. And I think when I was creating my album rollout where like, you know, the album was my birth and it was my pregnancy and all of those things, I wish that I had everyone sign an NDA that helped me with that. I would have definitely done that. <laughs> Maybe would have got myself a little bit more mental health help. Like I think that's one point I probably should have checked into a facility, but. Well, what is your favorite thing about making the album? I know it's probably just the fact that it exists, the catharsis that you've told me about this whole time about uh, getting that out. But is there a, a single moment of making a certain song or anything like that that really sticks out as like a, an aha moment or anything like that for you? I think apology was really a breakthrough moment for me. And just making this whole album before I started this album, I think I did not know who I was and I didn't understand myself and going in that deep and making this whole record and pulling all this shit out and going through all this and doing so much healing I I my life is completely different now like I know exactly who the fuck I am and why I am the way I am and I I get it and even like I've always had like not great people around me and now I'm able to recognize that and keep my circle very tight and make sure it's good people that give a shit about me and want the best for me. And like, I didn't even know what that meant before. So like my whole life is different now. I'm in a much safer, healthy, better place. Thanks to making this album. Thanks so much to Dana Dentata for letting us in on how these songs were made and her life that led to it. Hopefully it connects you deeper to this Pantychrist album or got you interested in it so we can all go to our shows and chant for the death of our enemies together. And what should you wear to that show? Obviously, the official Meet Meep pod shirt available at meetmeep.bigcartel.com. Follow the show on Instagram at meetmeetpod and leave a five-star review anywhere you can unless you want to lose by five stars to me and Mario Party because I'll show no mercy on Peach's birthday cake. But while you're doing that, I'm Ryan Rainbow. This is Meet Meep. And yes, that's the best that I could come up with. Bye! <laughs>